Last week we were in Acts chapter 9. As we get into this, um, we talked about salvation and how Christianity, it's, it's about a relationship. And that relationship, because of what God does in our life, is motivated by love. And it's not about a religion motivated by works. And, and that's, that's where I think even Christians can get off on what we do and why we do it and how we do it. A lot of times we start reverting back and, and we hear certain things in our life as a Christian and we start thinking about works and, and how much more we're being asked to do or how much more there is to do. And again, what we see in Scripture, not just in our study, but we see that a relationship with Jesus Christ again, is motivated by love, and there's nothing that love wouldn't, no, there's no extent that love wouldn't go to. Again, the Bible says that even God's love, he so loved as he gave his only begotten son. It says greater love has no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. And so again, there, there, there's this relationship we have with God by faith in Jesus Christ, but that relationship, that salvation, that Christianity is motivated by love. And again, good works, obedience to Christ are a natural result from a life that has been entrusted to Jesus Christ. So whenever we have that true relationship with Christ and we're asked to do something or not do something, it's not about a checklist of to-dos, a checklist of not to-dos. It's about I am a servant of the Lord and, and, and I, I'm choosing to, to follow him uh, because of my, my transformation. Again, that's what happens with Saul, the transformation of God by the Spirit of God, being indwelt by the Spirit of God. And being filled by the Spirit of God. That, those are all key elements to us living a life that's fruitful and honoring to the Lord. This salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, it produces. This life in Christ is clearly transformed and it's clearly noticeable that it has been transformed. Our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, those who are walking in a sincere relationship with Christ should look, we, it's, it's a juxtaposed, there, there, there are complete opposites. Our lives and then those who are not in Christ. And it's not to say we are better, we know, those who are saved, we know we're not better than anybody else. We know that we've simply been saved by the grace of God. We, by his mercy that he was rich in, that he extended to us, his love, again, sending his son to die in our place, to rise again, it's all the work of God. But when we are transformed, our lives are clearly different than that of those who are not saved. And sometimes we battle with that. Sometimes we battle with that, and the reason why we battle with that is because we're still living in fleshly bodies. We're still living in these bodies that like to have their own way. We're still living in bodies that are, are, are tempted and pulled away. We're still living in bodies that, that, are, that are prone to selfishness. And that's why we've seen along the way that it's important for us to be that living sacrifice, to, to mortify the members of our body, to, to daily die to the flesh and say, you know what, I'm, I'm no longer my own. Again, we've seen this in this study in these different examples, but last, the last couple of times we've seen Saul as our example. Uh, his life was going one way, driven by those selfish and sinful motives, and now it's been transformed and he is clearly going the opposite direction as he serves Christ. Again, we see the, that his testimony was known by the people in the world around him. People knew who he was. But they also now have seen the change in his life. And that's the reality in every single one of our lives. Whether you were raised in church and you got saved as a young kid, there's a change. 
There's a change in your attitude. There's a change in your desires. Or you were a young person who never went to church. Maybe you went to church once or twice, became a young adult, maybe even became an older adult, lived a life full of sin, and your life was radically transformed. Regardless, our life changes when we get saved. It just changes. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, I'm going to move on and see what happens with Saul and see what, what, what uh, results uh, from, from this point forward. So let's pray, and we'll, we'll do that. Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to be in your word already uh, through the, the worship, uh, through uh, the reading of your word. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to, to lift up your name and honor you. Thank you for the work that you're, you're doing in our church and, again, that you've done this week at junior camp. And, uh, Lord, we're, we're so thankful for uh, the privilege of being a part of your kingdom. I stand here and every per person sitting in this auditorium, Lord, we... None of us are worthy to even be called your children, uh, let alone to do anything or to witness your hand doing something uh, eternal. And so we're, we're, we're humbled and we're privileged uh, to be a part, God. And uh, we acknowledge that this morning together and as we enter into this time of, of concentrating on your word. And I pray that we would, would have ready hearts, ready, ready ears and spiritual eyes to receive what you have. And if there's somebody here that hasn't surrendered their life to you, uh, they've not entered into that relationship, that personal relationship with you through faith in Christ, uh, Lord, I pray today would be that day of salvation for them. Lord, we ask you move now, and I praise you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 9, in verse 23 is where we pick up. It says, Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. <laughs> that's it. We'll get to that. Which is it's just always interesting to read that. Saul, who was out to kill Christians as a Jew, now the Jews are out to kill Saul. But their plot became known to Saul. Praise God. They watched the gates day and night to kill him. They weren't looking. Now remember, Saul was, it was known that he was going into cities, into houses, taking men and women out of their homes and taking them to prison. And he was even consenting to their deaths and we we have every reason to believe that he was part of the murders because again whether it was consensual or he was a part of it now they're not looking to imprison Saul they want to kill him they want to silence him because I believe the enemy who was behind their motives and who was behind Saul's motives before he was saved knows the capability of a life fully surrendered to Christ and he was, look, the enemy was looking to use those Jews now to stop it before it even got going. The enemy doesn't know the future other than what God has revealed. So Satan doesn't, Satan doesn't have some type of insight into what is going to happen in the future other than what God has revealed through, through his prophets, through prophecy, through the word of God. And so it's not that Satan some, had some type of insight into Saul's life and how God was going to use him. I believe he saw what God had done throughout the, the, the ages, even up to that point, and he saw a vessel in Saul being completely radically transformed, and he knew, i got to stop this right now. And I believe that's exactly what happens in our lives sometimes. We've talked about it before. You know, when you, you get to that point where you rededicate your life or you, you surrender your life, you know, to Christ, or you say, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm going to do something more for the Lord. 
We talked about it already. What happens? The enemy comes sometimes as quick as he can to discourage you, to distract you, to derail you. He can't have your soul, but he wants to render you ineffective. And so he'll use everything and everyone possible. He was out to kill Saul. Again, I believe the measure of Saul's surrender, the, 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 the clarity in a, in a transformed life, this, this man who was a vicious persecutor of the church now fully surrendered to Christ. Satan saw that and said, I got to stop it. I got to stop it. And that shouldn't deter us. That shouldn't discourage us. And we talked about this when we were going through that in this study. And sometimes we, we, we become gun shy because we don't, we think, man, I want to do something more. But if the enemy's going to come after me and come after my family, I don't know if I want to surrender more to the Lord. I don't, I don't know what's at stake. Does that mean my kids, my grandkids might go through something really, really bad? Does it mean that I, that I, I, might, I might lose something tragically myself? And so we get, instead of walking by fear, we begin to walk by faith. We surrender. We, we say, man, I, I want to do this. And then all of a sudden we start thinking, oh, what if the enemy comes after me? I don't know if I want to put it all on the line for risk of losing something. Saul's life was on the line. Look what happens in verse 25. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. Again, as I said a while ago, it's an amazing thing because Saul, you look at his life, he was a predator. He was a predator and the church was the prey. But the predator has now become the prey. The killer has now become the target. From the one, again, storming into homes and tearing apart Christian families and even seeing to their murder to the one who is the target that's having to be snuck out of the city through a wall. These were large walls that protected the cities at garrisons and they had, you know, people, watchmen on the wall and mo mo most cities back then had some type of protection like that. And so these walls were tall. People lived in the walls. They had homes and, and businesses in, in the walls as well. And so somebody in the church had a home that had, had a window in the wall and they snuck Saul out of the, 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 the uh, city through that wall because he was now part of the church. Sometimes we look at how bad the world has become in our, in our life and it's vile unrighteousness. And, and again, it's hard not to read headlines or see stuff pop up on our phone or, or whatever the case may be and, and think, man, how bad can it get? How much worse can it get? You see, I, 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 somebody was um, saying something the other day about how uh, they just had to turn the news off because it, it was nine killed in this city and uh, six injured in this shooting and this, it, it, one negative story after the next. There was like six in a row. And so I just had to turn it off. So discouraging. It seems like it's getting worse and worse and worse. But imagine living in that time. Imagine living in those conditions as a, as a Christian, having to be snuck out of a city through a window in the city wall. Why? Why did he have to do that? The Bible says because the streets and the gates were being watched so they could find Saul and kill him. Why? Why again did Saul make them so mad? 
Why, why the, the guy who they, they exalted as their champion, that's who he was. The Jews, the he, Saul is our guy. Saul is the tip of the spear. We sent him into cities. He is ruthless. He doesn't care about kids. He doesn't care about women. He goes in and he just destroys the, the Christians, their homes. Why were they so mad? Why were they so intimidated? Why were they so threatened? Well, obviously the life changed, but again, if you're, you're here, you saw in verse 22, you can look back up in your, in your Bibles if you have it, it says, because he confounded the Jews that dwelt in Damascus, proving, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. So their whole, their whole, why they were combative, their whole um, attack, their whole motive was to destroy this movement of people who were claiming that Jesus was the Messiah, the one sent from God, the anointed one sent from God to die for the sins of the world. And they didn't believe that Jesus was. And so when Paul, when Saul was in the synagogue and, and, and disputing with them and proving to them that Jesus was the promised Messiah, instead of repenting and turning from their sins, they charged headlong in their sins, in their selfishness, in their hard-headed flesh to the point of wanting to kill him. Saul tore apart their whole religion of works apart from faith. Another majestic thing, a beautiful supernatural transformation of a life. Saul would have been considered at this point a traitor to the Jews because he was a traitor to their cause. And now the movement, the people... The kingdom he was seeking to destroy before Christ was the very reason why his life was in jeopardy. Again, I see that as a, just an amazing, beautiful thing. If you are, are one, uh, somebody who um, your life has had a polar transformation when you got saved. In other words, you, it was so clear that you were, you were very deep in sin. You were very, it was, it was obvious. You were living your life for sin and for self. And when you got saved, your life was completely transformed. Everybody saw it. Everybody noticed it. Everybody knew it. You were a different, completely opposite changed person. That's exactly what was going on in Saul's life. And so you know exactly what it was. Some people questioned, though, and we'll eventually see this. They did question his sincerity. Even as he became Saul, uh, Paul the Apostle, even as he would travel around and plant churches and eventually write letters, there were times that, that, that Paul had to defend his own sincerity and motives in the ministry. Paul the Apostle. That his allegiance to Christ would be questioned. But in this, in his life to come, we're going to see that he had decided to follow Jesus. And there was no turning back or even turning aside. Last week we saw... That salvation produces a clear life change. It is very clear. If you are saved, your life is different. Your life is changed. It looks different from those in the world. But I think it's important to note in this lesson with Saul that it's an all-in, never-ending life change. And that's point number one this morning. Salvation is not just a, a clear life change, but it's an all-in, never-ending lifestyle change. One of the, the sad realities about the end times, the Bible says, is there's going to be a great falling away from the faith. There's going to be a great departing of the faith. 
it, it says that there is a uh, that there is this group of people that is ever learning. They know what Scripture says, but they never come to the knowledge of the truth. It says that the reason why they can't do that is because they love the world rather than God. When we get saved, there's no going back. And I said, what, if, what happens if you get saved and, and, and you know, some years go by and then you go back and you start living the old life that you, you were saved from? Does that mean you were truly saved or not? We had a little bit of a conversation in our new members class, and uh, so we're going to address that a little bit on Sunday morning. Honestly, it's a heart issue. If you believe that you have been saved, and you believe you've truly been saved, there's nothing that you can do to lose that. No one can take that away from you. You are eternal. It's eternal life. It's called eternal life. It's called everlasting life. Uh, the Bible says, "Who the sun sets free is free indeed." So there, there's nothing we can do as a true saint of God, and we know that as a true child of God, redeemed and saved by His grace. As I said, we'll go. We battle in the flesh. We struggle in this world, and and we're tempted to sin, and and, and we know that we do fall into sin. We're going to talk about this, and we're going to see it in Scripture. But the, the truth is. When we do sin, when we do fall away, when we do, if we do backslide, there's a few things that happen. Number one, we are chastised. The Bible says that whom the Lord loves, he chastens. If we are his, we will be disciplined. And that discipline looks different for each kid, just like it does and, and many, many in this room have different kids, different personalities, different reaction to, to your, your voice, different reaction to your punishment. And so it's not that you're being partial. Sometimes all it takes is a look for one, and sometimes it takes a beating for another. <laughs> not child abuse. I'm not talking about child abuse. And sometimes in our, in our relationship, in this room, there are different reactions to the, to the chastening of God. Maybe God comes to you and, and the preacher's preaching on something and, 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 and all week long you've been reading scripture and it's all saying the same thing and you've been convicted and, and maybe you listen to something on the radio or you hear a song or, or you just have this presence inside and it's convicting you and the Lord is not leaving you alone because you are not in right fellowship. You're being corrected. And you say, God, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. I know I've been messing up. I know I've been struggling with this. I know I've fallen into this. Lord, I'm sorry. That's all it takes. And for others, he, try, he, he doesn't try. God knows. He's eternal. He knows, he knows all things. But he does one thing, and we don't respond. And then the, the, the punishment maybe is, 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 is in long suffering. It's extended a little bit, and then it comes a little bit, the, the correction comes a little bit more severe the next time. God has to try to get our attention. It's a little more difficult. But he does correct those who are his. But look what Scripture says about this all-in, clear, never-ending lifestyle change. Luke chapter 9, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. That's somebody telling Jesus, I'll go wherever you go. 
Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You want to follow me? Guess what? I don't even have a home here. I don't even have a house. You sure you want to follow me like that? To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And some people may say, well, this is a very insensitive, heartless statement that Jesus said to this, this man who just lost his father. Let the, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Wait a second. There's no way we have time to unpack all this. But Jesus was telling him, listen, if you, we've already talked about this, right? When, when, when Jesus was pressed and they said, hey, your mother and your, your brother are over here and they need to talk to you. What did Jesus tell them? My mother and brother are those who do the will of my father. He was trying to explain that while earthly relationships are blessings from God and the way that churches are formed and, and the way that we are to raise up generations and multiply the earth for the glory of God, there is a family that's eternal. And that's the family of God. So many times because we are earthly people and because we live in these fleshly bodies, we, we get it mixed up. And we get it, we get it confused, we get it, we get attached because these are physical warm bodies and, and, and we can love on each other and we spend time with each other, we go through highs and lows and all those things. And so our earthly families become these really, really, really important parts of lives, which I believe that God intended for them to be, but not more important than our relationship with our heavenly father. So Jesus was what? The glory of God in flesh. He was the, the image of the invisible God. He, he was God in the flesh. And what he was saying, look, if you want to follow me, it's an all-in thing. It's an all-in, never-ending lifestyle change. You know, they said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell at my home. Right? Let me, let me tell my family bye. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He was trying to explain, not, not that you, you don't have a funeral for your, 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 your relative, not that you don't say bye to your, your family at home if you're going to leave your, leave your life behind and go on a, a lifelong mission or whatever. He was trying to explain that there is an allegiance to the kingdom of God that supplants every other thing on this, on this earth. Everything. That's why Jesus would have to explain in Luke chapter 14, we've already talked about this, that a man, unless a man love him more than his, his mother, his father, his brother, his sisters, his wife, husband, or whatever, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, verse 15, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything's now ready. But they, they all alike began to make excuses why they couldn't go to the banquet at that point in time. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. I've, I've preached this before. It's, these excuses are humorous, but I think they're just as humorous the ones that we make in our life. He said, I bought some land, and I got to go see it. 
You didn't see the land before you bought it. Why, why do you need to be excused from the banquet, the invitation? I, that's, that's foolishness right there. You bought some land, didn't even see it. They didn't have the internet. They couldn't have looked it up online. The next one's very humorous as well. I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. <laughs> why can't you come? Well, she said I probably should stay. <laughs> I got stuff to do, do list. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. I'm sorry, I skipped one, didn't I? Verse 19, yeah. Another, verse 19, another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Again, similar to the, the one who bought the field, you, you bought five yoke of oxen, and you hadn't even seen if they work yet, right? It's like buying, it, buying, buying a car without ever knowing that it runs, you know? I got this car, I got to go see if it works. So the servant came and reported these, 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 this is the excuses that we're getting, Master. The master of the house became angry and said to a servant, go out quickly to the streets, the lanes of the city, and bring in the, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Bring those who are in need. What did those other people have? They had land and oxen and relationships. They had, they had a life going on on this earth. And so Jesus said, okay, well, we'll invite, invite those people who don't have anything, who've lost it all. The lowest of the low in society. And the servant says, sir, what you've commanded has been done. There's still room. And the master said to him, then go out in the highways and the hedges and compel the people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste of my banquet. Hebrews chapter 6, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works of faith to God, and obstruction about washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Let's move beyond the, the basic things about salvation. And this we will do if God permits. For it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. Those who, who have heard the gospel. Those who have, who have even showed up at church. Who have tasted of the heavenly gift. Have shared in the Holy Spirit. Have tasted the goodness of the word of God. They, they have been a part. They, they, they have been here. And they've seen the, the power of, of God of the ages to come. And then have fallen away. It's impossible, he says, to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those whose sake, for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless. And near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, he said, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Even though there are people who, who, who go through the motions, even though there's people who, who know what God's word says, and, and, and they, fall, they go back to serve, and they, they, don't, they don't come back to repentance, they, they don't, they don't, it's impossible to restore them. Even though there are people like that, he says, but we're talking to you, we feel sure about better things in your case. The things that belong to salvation, true salvation, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do right now. You're being faithful, you're being steadfast, you're all in, you have a, a, a lifelong change. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, lazy, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. 
Again, this is not to say that when we get saved, even though it's an all-in, never-ending lifestyle change, it's not to say that you become absolutely sinless. There's not a person in here that's truly saved, that after you were saved, you never sinned again. When we get saved, unfortunately, we still struggle with the flesh, we still struggle with the world, we still struggle with sin. It's still something that is a battle on a daily basis. We don't become absolutely sinless. I wish we did. Man, I don't know about you, but I wish we did. I wish the moment we got saved, it was like, oh, no more sin. I don't have to worry about it anymore. But what does change? What does, in our relationship with sin, what happens is we no longer are enslaved to sin. But we have chosen to yield ourselves as a servant to be a slave of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, what then are we, are we to sin because we're no longer under law but under grace? He says, by no means, God forbid, absolutely not. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, that you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Either if you yield yourself as a servant to sin, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience to Christ, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, you used to be slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin. You're no longer in bondage to sin. You've become now slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. That was a nice way to say that, uh, Paul. For just as you were once presented, you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness that led you to more lawlessness, just like you were living for sin, you were bond, in bondage to sin, and as you yielded yourself as, as a, uh, to, to do lawless things to sin, it caused more sin. So now, you're free from that. You need to present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit you are getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed. For the, to the, for the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification. And this end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 2 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to wrap this up, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies into the church and try to teach these destructive things, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon them swift destruction. And he's talking about there's going to be false teachers that do this in the end time. And many will follow, look at this, many will follow their sensuality. Why? Because it'll, ple- it'll appeal to their flesh. That sounds good. Yeah, you know what? I think it's okay for Christians. Yeah, I want to do that. It'll appeal to their sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, they became demons, they were cast out, but cast them into hell and committed them to change of gloomy darkness to be kept until until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others and his family, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if you rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, as for that righteous man that lived among them day after day, he was just talking about Lot, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. 
Then, if, if God did all of that in the ancient world, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and temptation. And to keep the unrighteous under punishment to the day of judgment, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despising authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. He's talking about false teachers. Suffering wrong as the wage for the wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. Oh, they feast with you Christians. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. Those, those people that are struggling in their flesh and they're unsteady in their faith. They, hey, that sounds good. I like that doctor. I like that. I like the way that guy teaches about that. I like... Boy, that church believes about that. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children, he says. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor. They have loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mist driven by storm. For, they, for, for them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever outcomes overcomes a person, listen to this, for what overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state of them has become worse than the first. But it would be better for them to never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it turned back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to the wallow in the mire. So there is a stark contrast between living for self and sin and living for the Savior. You can go through the emotional processes, the emotional motions, and not really be saved. Many people have done that. If you find yourself still living for yourself, still living for sin, and the world, then you might quite possibly be still on your way to hell for eternity. A true lifestyle change, never-ending, all-in one, is one that the Holy Spirit brings, and it sticks. As I said, as a Christian, there's no doubt we stumble and we fall into sin. But if you're stumbling and falling into sin as a Christian, you're not okay with it. It doesn't sit well with you. Now, you may keep going down that road, but you, it doesn't sit well with you. And that's according to the Scripture. A righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. I want to end with this scripture. I, I need to read this because of this. First John chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him, from Jesus, and proclaim to you. That God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, 
we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But as a child of God, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Again, it's so important for us to understand that when we get saved, it is an all-in, never-ending lifestyle change. I want to challenge you this morning. Is your life as a child of God clearly, distinctly following Christ? Are you still struggling with doing your thing, doing what you want to do, living in the world, struggling with serving sin still? And maybe today you need to do what 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from Maybe this morning you need to come to this altar and say, God, I'm sorry. I know I'm your child, but man, I, I've been doing, I've been trying to do my own thing for a while, and I'm sorry, I'm, st- I'm stopping. I want to come back to right fellowship with you. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life truly to Christ. As I said, maybe you went through emotions, but you know down deep in your heart, you and God alone know this. You know your life has not been transformed. Don't walk out of this place that same way. You can come down to this altar. I can talk with you. You can stop at the Welcome Center afterwards and say, I need to make sure that I'm saved. I want to go to heaven when I die. I've not done that, and I want to do that today. Whatever the need is, I want to encourage you to respond uh, this morning. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you again for your word. Thank you for allowing us to be in this place. Thank you for this reminder. Again, we see the, the complete lifestyle change, the complete life change in Saul. He was going one direction, and everybody loved him on that side. Everybody was cheering him on. He was their hero. To destroy the church and then his life was so radically transformed that those same people that championed him wanted to kill him and lord i pray that my life i pray that our lives would be that different in this world that our lives would stand out so much not because we're trying to be better than people because we're not not because we're we're trying to be righteous because we have no righteousness other than what you've given to us but because we're yielded to you and we're walking a life of obedience. Lord, help us stand out as testimonies for your kingdom and your glory. And again, if there's somebody here that has never surrendered their life and entered into a real relationship with you, I pray they do that this morning right now. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he sings, I want to encourage you to come.